Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can trust you. We praise you because you're worthy of it. And Lord, we wait on you. Often we don't understand that peace, but we wait on you. Help us, Lord, now to understand, to see your will and your way in our life. These things we ask in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. I titled the message, appropriately or not, is God procrastinating? How many of you think God's procrastinating? Well, you're not going to accuse God of anything, are you? You're, you're not going to risk that, yeah. He's got more grace than that. You can question him. You can challenge him. But I want to I have you see again uh, that verse in, in Isaiah 7, 14. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, why do I have uh, that passage up there for you today? It's because the angel said to Joseph in a dream... Don't divorce Mary. Don't be afraid. Go ahead and marry her because that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And it's been done to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 7.14. That the virgin would conceive and have a child. But still, is God procrastinating? Now, why, why is that relevant to the passage this morning? Have you noticed that with Christmas, you've got to wait more? Now, we knew that, you know, just through the pandemic, you had to wait more. But if you noticed here at Christmas, no matter what you do, you've got to wait more. If you don't believe me, get sick and go to the ER and you'll find out. If you don't believe me, go and try to eat out somewhere during the holiday season. You'll find out. you got to wait. you just got to sit back and wait. And I don't know about you, but I'm not real good at the wait. I'm not real good at the patience thing. When the fullness of time had come, I want you to listen to that phrase. It comes from something Paul wrote. It's the Christmas season. It's the Advent season. The time of expectation. The time of hopefulness. And Paul wrote and said that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as, as sons. I want you to think about what that first line says here today. The fullness of time. The ripeness of time. For those of you that have been mothers, you know that you aren't going to rush that baby. But you also know that when the time comes, you aren't going to stop it either. It is going to happen. That's what we're talking about here when Paul says the fullness of time came, God gave his son. But my question this morning, my first question is going to be, why was this particular point in time in history the right time? You know, if you were to go back in the book of Genesis, and by the way, if you don't read the King James Version and never have, you won't find what I'm about to say to you. But if you're familiar with the King James, and I suspect many of you are, the truth is that this is what Genesis talks about after Adam and Eve sinned. It says this. It says that enmity would come between the serpent's seed. Did you hear that? The serpent's seed and Eve's seed. 
why does the writer of Genesis use the term seed? It's because of the way that uh, Jesus would be conceived. In fact, if you go in the Bible everywhere, you'll see that there is the word seed that is used when someone becomes pregnant. But there's something unique about this in Genesis. In Genesis, this is the only place this occurs. It talks about the woman's seed. The rest of the Bible, it talks about the man's seed. And you have to ask the question, what's that about? What well, has to do with the fact or the way, rather, in which God would fulfill the first prophecy concerning Christ, which is Genesis 3.16. It would be through a virgin. There was no human seed involved. It would be the seed of the Holy Spirit. And so, when the writer wrote it, they said, through the woman's seed. Now, stop for a minute and understand something. When did God do this? When did God fulfill that, that very earliest in time prophecy concerning the coming Messiah? And the answer to that question is he did it at the perfect time. He did it when time was right. He did it when time was pregnant with expectation. So why did it take almost 4,000 years for that to take place? You know, when a woman gets pregnant for nine months... I suppose they would think that's sufficient time, right? 4,000 years? Why didn't God just rush into the Garden of Eden? You know, Adam and Eve's sin. Why didn't God just rush in there and set Jesus down? And all of this would be over in a flash. Nothing that we've experienced in the last few years would have ever taken place. Why didn't God do this when he could have done it very early on? Why did God wait? Because he was waiting on the perfect time. Did you ever think about Abraham and Sarah? That would have been a good time. Did you ever think about Noah? That would have been a good time. The Tower of Babel? How about Joseph and his brothers in Egypt and that whole story? Why didn't God come before Moses? Why didn't God come before Moses had to lead those people up out of bondage? Why didn't God send Jesus before the kings or the time of uh, uh, the exile into Babylon? Well, I want to take you back to that verse we read, and I want you to read it again. Oh, look at that. If you're over here, you'll get the full version. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you... Read it with me. I want you to read it with me. Therefore, the... <laughs> Who's messing with me? Look at that, it jumped two whole slides. Well, if it stays, we'll read it together. Oh my, no, no, it didn't. Hold on, church. Let's try. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and will call his name Emmanuel. You know when this verse occurred? I mean, we already told you Genesis 3.16, long time. Isaiah 7.14 occurs 700 years before Jesus. Why is God not in a hurry? Why is God waiting? If he promised it way back then, and I'm Isaiah standing here at this point in time, my question is, can you just get it over with? If you are just a surface student of the Bible, you know 
that the Jews were waiting expectantly for a Messiah, right? I mean, that's just what they were about. Where was he? Why the holdup? Sometimes it takes years to get 2020 vision. Sometimes it takes a long time, passing of time. The problem is that wait in between when things really get unbearable. Debbie, did we turn the heat off? Well, I'll try to rush through the message, church. Did you ever notice that when you're waiting, the wait can be unbearable? When you're waiting, it can seem incredible. Why is it so hard to wait on God? I'm going to tell you why in a nutshell. Because he's so silent. Now, sometimes I've seen God just speak. But I don't know about you, but more often than not for me, I want that clear voice. I want that tap on the shoulder. I want the knowledge that he's right there. Silence. We hear nothing. And how do you interpret silence? Most of us interpret silence as absence. God's MIA. And it doesn't matter if that wait is 20 years or 20 minutes. The silence is deafening. And so the 700 years from Isaiah 7.14 to the time of the birth of Jesus didn't really make sense until the day that Jesus was born. But even then, very few people understood or recognized the significance in the moment. When you look at that 700-year period, 300 of them are addressed in the Old Testament. But the 400 that are missing, they're right there in the middle between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We know them as the silent years where God doesn't speak at all. So why did Jesus come when he came? Why, why was Jesus' birth the fullness of time? Why was it the perfect time? Let's stop and think about it for a minute. The Roman Empire came into being. I mean, for the first time, you had a highway system being produced whereby people could go everywhere. For the first time, 270 years before Christ, the Hebrew scriptures were put into the Greek language. See, they were usually written in Hebrew. What difference does that make, Joel? Well, the Roman Empire owned everything, took over everything, and everybody, for the first time in history, shared one common language. Now, they didn't speak it fluently, but they understood, and that was Greek. So everybody's able to communicate. And guess what else? When, when, when the Romans come in, the diaspora takes place. All of the Jewish people were dispersed. They were sent out all over that kingdom. And guess what else? They're the ones who held the secret. They're the ones who held the key. They're the ones who knew about the Messiah. So they're out talking and they're telling it in the streets and they're sharing it with everybody. And finally, before we go to finalize this, let's do the math on that. 400 years of God's silence 
everyone understands the Bible together at the same time. They could read the Bible. They could, by the way, they could ask questions. That never happened before this. The message of the coming Messiah is being put out there by the Jewish people. It's being shared by these people who are being dispersed across the known world. And guess what? They're waiting on God. And they can't see him or hear him. But all of those events I just told you about, that's God at work in history. That, that, that's God moving the checkerboard around. You know, I'm not a video gamer, but I'll tell you two things about video games I know. Years ago, when computers first came out, and I had a, a really, today would just be almost a calculator, I got a little submarine game. I'm fascinated with submarine games and airplanes. You can't find many good submarine games. I got this submarine game, and I would use it. You, would, you were in World War II, and you would go out hunting for enemy ships, and you'd sink them. Isn't that fun? Now, the problem was, the problem was, to get the ship, to get the sub underwater and out to port, that was difficult because you ran into things or you'd kill everybody in the process. But once you got underwater and you were going, it took hours or days to find a ship. You know, they, Microsoft just came out with a new uh, flight simulator. I'm too cheap to spend the $99 to get it, but I read a review about it. And flight simulator, the hard part is your takeoffs and your landings, as you can imagine, Right? But once you get the plane in the air and you've mastered that, flying around is nothing. You're going to fly from Hawaii to, to New York City. It's nothing to it. You just get the plane in the air and then you go. And, and what really kills the game on both the submarine end and the airplane end is that weight in between. So the computer developers, the software developers, have put this little thing in there called time compression. That 20-hour trip... Before something happens where you've got to either land a plane or sink another boat, you push a key, and guess what? The 20 hours become like four seconds. And it'll stop 20 hours later. Don't you wish life was like that? Don't you wish we had a button we could push? Because we're waiting on God. If we just push the button and get there and see what he's going to do, it would be wonderful. But that's not how it works. You see, we wait on God, and we wonder why he's silent. And I don't know about you, but I think sometimes, you know, the reason God's not speaking right now is because I failed. Do you ever feel that way? I, sometimes when God's so silent, I think, I must have sinned, and I've done something wrong. And he's not talking to me right now because of that sin. What, what is it that I've done that I need to repent of? And then when times get really bad, I'll come up with this one. You know, God doesn't care. And for some people, if it gets real bad, it becomes, I'm not even sure he's there. And while you may not want to Raise your hand and say, Joel, I've felt that way. I want to tell you something so you don't have to. You're not alone. I know you're there. I talk to some of you in the private places. Do you ever think about this? When Moses killed that Egyptian and he had to go away for 40 years, when he ran away, 
What was he thinking? When Jonah didn't go to Nineveh and the whale swallowed him, what was he thinking? When Job woke up one morning and he went outside and a whirlwind came through and all that he owned and all of his family was gone, what do you think he thought about God? What was he asking God? What was nagging him besides his friends? Did you ever consider that, that the blind man who had been blind from birth, for all those years as he grew up, what was he thinking about God? What was he, what was he asking God? That woman who had uh, an issue of blood for 12 years and came out of nowhere and touched the hem of his garment, what was she thinking as she waited for something to change? Everyone, all of us, have waited on God at some time or another. For some of us, it may have been 20 minutes. For some of us, it may have been a lifetime. But we've waited. And just because God doesn't act doesn't mean he won't. And when you look at Scripture and the characters that I've outlined for you this morning, one of the things I've concluded is this. God's silence is never his absence, and my waiting on him is not his abandonment. Let's go back to Moses for a minute. What happened to Moses in those 40 years? Well, what I see is that Moses matured. What, what, what happened to Jonah in the belly of that whale? Well, the, the, the person who said, I'm not going to be obedient to God, learned obedience. He became more disciplined in this relationship with God. And that woman with the issue of blood, Jesus tells us what happened with her. He says to her, your faith has made you whole. Those 12 years, something happened with her belief in, in God. And finally, I've come to this conclusion as we're here in the Advent season, the season of expectation, the season of waiting upon the Lord. I've come to this conclusion, and I hope that you will give me a little bit of clearance to speak it to you. Sometimes when we're waiting on God, I, I've concluded that God's waiting on us. Is it possible that maybe God wants to do something in me before he does something for me? Maybe it's that imperfection in my life or your life. Maybe it's that sin that does need dealt with. Maybe it's that desire that isn't right or that tongue that just flies off the handle. That impatience, maybe that addiction. But he's working to do something in us because he wants us to be... Let me, let me put it to you this way. We're waiting to see Jesus and maybe God's waiting to see Jesus in us. book of 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards us, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Did you hear that? He's not slow to fulfill his promise. There's purpose in what God's doing. What if the God we're waiting on 
is somehow in a mirror waiting on us. You ever think of that? And that leads me to my bottom line today. When you feel like losing patience with God, look for his purpose instead. When you feel like you're waiting on God so long that, that, that he's just not there, stop a minute and think about the fact that maybe he's doing something that in the moment you can't see. In the 700 years from Isaiah 7.14 to Matthew chapter 1, God did a lot, didn't he? A huge kingdom of all the world, the known world at the time. Language. The people who had the message sent out across those roads that were being built. But they were living it. And when they were living it, they could not see that. And when you are in a difficult time and you're praying and you're asking God to do what only God can do, can I tell you something? You probably will not see what he's actually doing until you get a little time under your belt down the highway and you look back. When Moses killed that Egyptian, there was youthful impulsiveness there. I see Peter all over the place. And that impulsiveness needed tamed if Moses was going to be God's man to lead the Hebrew children up out of bondage in Egypt. Moses, at a young man, as a young man, would have been unbelievable to not only the Egyptians, but to his own people. But Moses, 40 years later, had the scars to show that he could be trusted. So in those 40 years, God grew him. <clears throat> Did you ever think about Moses? Maybe he wanted to go back to his friends he had, but he couldn't. And maybe that freedom he longed for became his own personal bondage. And God used that to grow him into the person he needed. And I'd like to think that one day Moses realized that God had purpose. And his purpose was not to alienate him from those he loved, but rather to mature him so he would know how to love them properly and lead them out of the bondage they were in. <clears throat> Why 40 years? The pregnant time. The perfect time. The right time. When Jonah disobeyed God, he needed to learn that choices have consequences, and so into the fish he goes. And I'd like to think that in that time, he learned discipline. I can tell you that three days in the belly of a whale would teach me real quick. I thought about this this week. What do you do when you're in the belly of a whale? Do you punch the side to try to get out? At some point, I think Jonah probably said, I'm going to die. <laughs> and he finally possibly just said, you know, God, I'm sorry I was disobedient. And just as he was saying, Lord, forgive me, that fish burped, <laughs> and there he went. And he's on the beach in a land called Nineveh. How about that woman with the issue of blood? Spent her lifetime going to doctors and looking for remedies. 
at some point, late in those 12 years, I'd bet, she realized there was no remedy, there was no doctor, there was no book, there was no way out. It was time to trust God. And when that happened, here come Jesus walking down the street. And she reached out and touched the hem of his garment, and he said, Daughter, your faith that you didn't have 12 years ago, your faith has made you whole. <clears throat> what are you waiting on God for? I want you to seriously ask yourself that question. What are you waiting on God for? Do you feel like you're in captivity in that wait? Do you feel like it's been far too long that you're a prisoner in that wait? Are you trying to get out of that prison? Could it be because you failed to know what God's purpose is in it? And now in a very perfect and pregnant time, is God about to reveal his purpose for you? I thought about this week, these, this thought, I've never known anyone, maybe you're the person, but I've never known anyone that is not waiting on God for something. Maybe we just come with expectancy, I don't know. But it's an appropriate thought as we're in this season that we're in. And maybe it's good to think that maybe we've waited long enough. Maybe it's time we come to realize that our weight is not our weight, it's his. And he's allowing that weight to take place because he has purpose for us. And he's using this weight to build something in us. And when Isaiah was told, the Lord will give you a sign, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you'll call his name Emmanuel. 700 years later, the sign was given. Remember, this will be a sign to you. You will find the child wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The sign is here, and that sign is that God's no longer waiting. He's waited through all that time so he could show us his purpose, and his purpose is going to be found in a manger. For unto you is born this day in the city of David is a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Let me read it. I'm, I'm getting ready to wrap up, folks. I know it's getting chilly, and I apologize. Joseph, you need to divorce Mary. Can you hear Joseph's father saying that to him? Joseph, you need to get out of that. But as Joseph considered these things, an angel appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary for your wife. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son and you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Behold, a virgin will conceive and will bear a son and they'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When, G when Joseph woke from that dream, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do. 
he took Mary for his wife. He did not know her until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Church, one day Joseph resolved to divorce her. Asleep, and he was glued to her with super glue. Mary was visited by an angel, and it took nine months of waiting to see if what God said through that angel was true. And Israel waited 700 years from Isaiah's time to find God with them. And Adam and Eve, which represents all of us, waited thousands of years to see God's promise come to pass. The promise that had purpose in the perfect and pregnant time. And it was fulfilled in Jesus. Maybe God's waiting on you. I'll close with this. It was raining yesterday and we went shopping. Trying to be a decent human being, I said to my lovely wife, I'm going to drop you off at the door and I'll park and I'll be right in. Just wait on me. And we were at Walmart, which I can't stand to go to. I dropped her off at the door I parked the car and I went in and she was not waiting on me. And you know that kind of took a little bit of Christmas spirit out of my heels. And I walked around Walmart and I couldn't find her. And I'm looking around, I'm hunting for her, and I'm going up and down aisles, I can't see her. I went to pull out my phone and it was in the car. What am I going to do? And she came around the corner. Is that how God is for you? Well, this Christmas, why don't you see when he comes around that corner that he's been waiting. It isn't you that's been waiting. It's been him. And his perfect work can be accomplished in you if you'll just ask him. Amen. Let's sing together.